0: God is good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, I hope that you'll pray for me over the next few weeks as, as I attempt to do something that I don't remember ever doing in, in all of my years of pastoral ministry. Donna might remember it, but I don't remember it. I've never taught through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I have preached from Ecclesiastes on many occasions, uh, but there's nothing quite like getting the message when you exegete the entire uh, passage that is given by the Holy Spirit. And I've just been, I, over the last several weeks, I just had been attracted to it in my spirit. And just, uh, I felt like, oh, well, that's, that's the direction that I'm going to go. So, uh, I'm leaning heavy in this series on, number one, the Holy Spirit. And number two, some of the great common, commentators of the world. I'll be drawing some information from uh, a man by the name of David Guzik, and uh, he pastors uh, out on the west coast and has has written a wonderful set of co- uh, of contemporary commentaries. And so I'll I'll take a, a few things from him, uh, and then some. Uh, You'll have to hold on to your your, your britches a little bit right now, but I actually am going to be drawing some from some Southern Baptist commentators, so you'll you know we'll wade through that softly. But uh, I've honestly, some of the best uh, exegetical preachers in the world are Southern Baptist. And uh, I've always told my wife, if I wasn't Church of God, I'd be Baptist, but I'd be I'd be sneaky about being the, you know, having the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Uh, But I'm just kidding. I don't know if you know this or not, but the pastor that I've been bragging about down here at Highview, uh, Dr. Kevin Smith, wonderful black preacher that just, I mean, just tears it up every week. He's just resigned and moved to Washington. He's going to be Washington D.C. He's going to be working in the denominational offices of the Southern Baptist. There and uh, so last Sunday was his, was his last Sunday there. And I, Donna, she said, I know you're going to grieve him being gone because I'm, I'm convinced that, that underneath the sheets that, that guy was Pentecostal <laughs> because he, he preaches like a Pentecostal and he was educated at our school, the, the Pentecostal Theological Seminary in Cleveland, Tennessee. So I, he may not talk publicly about it, but i about it. There, I've watched him a few times where I thought there was just a just this close to a little bit of that Holy Ghost coming out of him. But Washington's getting him now. Anyway, they'll probably get somebody else. I'm sure they will, but it won't be me because I'm staying right here. Yeah. So anyway, Ecclesiastes. I'm glad that you're uh, going to go through this study with me. We're going to try if the equipment will work properly we're going to try to videotape these uh, because we have several of our young couples uh, who are in the 2240 group uh, that want to be a part of this study but they also want to be back there and we also have several uh, who work on Wednesday nights and can't be at church and they love being able to join us in these videos so uh Hi to all of you who will be joining us tomorrow. We're glad that you're with us. So t- take your Bibles and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Uh, tonight we're going to do a lot of uh, preliminary groundwork. We're, we're going we're to lay this groundwork and this foundation so that we can move through the book of Ecclesiastes uh, with the proper context. Now, you know, we won't get the whole weight of the message of Ecclesiastes tonight. It, it, it may take us a few weeks before we really get into the reality of what is trying to be uh, instilled in our minds. Uh, but this is, this is a wonderful study for us. And it takes a mature child of God, really, to be able to walk through this. And and your mind be able to grasp it. Some of it will make a lot of sense to us, but uh, some of the other things that we'll see, it, it'll cause our minds to say that that just doesn't seem right to me. It it, it almost seems like uh, that that is uh, the opposite of what I what I think should be. But you have to take it in context, and you have to remember. That the Holy Spirit of God is moving upon the author to write these things and he is setting the stage as he moves chapter through chapter by chapter and so we have to stay with the movie it's like if you were watching a movie and you only watched the first 15 minutes of it and then you left you wouldn't get the whole story that is being put together so tonight, we're going to lay a lot of foundation, and we're going to get where we need to get to, uh, but it, it'll take the entire study to get there. So get your Bibles, turn, them to, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm going to be uh, using a brand new version uh, or translation of the Bible. It, it is uh, Holman's Contemporary Standard Bible, HCSB, that has just recently come out. And so I'm kind of going through it. Uh, I I like this version. And so I'm going to use it throughout this study. It's easy to understand. So let's set the stage now. Chapter 1, the main idea that we want to get out of this lesson tonight is that everything, say everything, everything is meaningless without Jesus. Everything is meaningless without Jesus. Now, there's another way to say that. And we can say it like this, and, mean, and it means the same thing. Everything is meaningless without a perspective of eternity. We have to keep in our minds that this life is not all that there is. There is another world that we're moving to. There is an, et- an eternal existence That we will all be part of. And so the the life that we currently live now is in the flesh. But there's coming a day when we're going to move out of this flesh. And we're going to move out of this realm and out of this world. And we're going to live eternally in the presence of Jesus Christ. So our main idea tonight is everything is meaningless without Jesus. Now, a few years ago, there was a movie that played that was very popular. It starred Bill Murray, and uh, in fact, it was in 1993, and the name of the movie was Groundhog Day. Anybody remember seeing Groundhog Day? The, the, whole, the whole premise here is that Bill Murray, uh, he, he's Weatherman Phil Connors, uh, he is stuck under this curse And so he has to live the same day every day of his life, February 2nd, which is Groundhog Day. And he cannot move to February 3rd until he deals with all of the inner stuff that allows him to come to a place of contentment. And when he finally finds that place, uh, he has gone through the whole movie. I mean, he's, he's done everything that he can do to try to move forward. He, he fills his life with all kinds of pleasures. Anything that he wants to do, he does it. Anything he wants to eat, he eats it. Anything he wants to drink, he drinks it. Anybody he wants to be with, he is, because he knows that I cannot leave this day because I'm under this curse. But then he meets a young lady by the name of Rita, and he falls in love with Rita. And finally, he makes this statement. He said, he says to her, he looks lovingly into her eyes, and he says, I don't know what will happen tomorrow. All I know is that I'm happy right now. I don't know what will happen tomorrow. All I know is that I'm happy right now. And when he found himself in that place of contentment, the curse was lifted, and the next morning when he woke up, he discovered that it was February the 3rd, and he was able to move on with his life. Now, that's fiction. We know that. It was a movie that was created out of someone's thinking process and out of their minds. But in some ways, Ecclesiastes is kind of that same thing because the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us that if we cannot live life with an eternal perspective and if we cannot live life, if we live life without Jesus, then our life is meaningless Everything that we say is meaningless. Everything that we do is meaningless and you know that we 've all felt that way at times i don 't know what time you get up, but at our house every morning six o'clock our our feet hit the ground. Donna comes over here, and then I get up a few minutes later and'm i 'm ready to go and we, and we eat breakfast and, and and we we brush our teeth and we comb our hair and and, and, and I shave, she doesn't have to shave, but I do, I shave. And, and, and we, we put our clothes on and we come to the church and we work and, and we go throughout the day and then we eat lunch and then we do our afternoon responsibilities and we eat dinner and then we, we do whatever it is we have to do just like you. And then usually around eight o'clock at night, we'll come in and, and we'll maybe sit down for a few minutes and we'll watch a television show or or do something else that we wanted to do. And then it becomes bedtime, and we get up, and we go to bed, and we set the alarm, and we, we lay down, and, and we rest our minds, and the next morning, the alarm goes off, and you know the routine. We do the same thing every day. We may wear different clothes. Our hair may look different. Our, our breath may smell different. We may feel good one day and not feel so good the next day. But life just moves in this endless cycle of meaningless. Now, in Ecclesiastes, the writer here, instead of really talking about meaninglessness, he's almost talking about a routine of monotony. It just, there's nothing exciting anymore. It's the same thing all the time. Uh, you know, we, we, we just go through the motions and everything seems to be the same. Now, who wrote Ecclesiastes? Well, we are pretty confident that Solomon is the only possibility to have been the author of Ecclesiastes. Uh, he is called the teacher or the preacher which means that he held some type of position where he had oversight to people. And the scripture also says in chapter 1, verse 1, if you want to look at your Bibles, chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the teacher who was the son of David and the king in Jerusalem. Now, we know that David had many sons, But only one of those sons ever served as the king in Jerusalem, and that was Solomon. So the only real possibility here is that Solomon was the one who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, another strong indicator that it was Solomon is that Solomon's life mirrored what we see written in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, his his talking about wisdom and obtaining all wisdom and having great wisdom, uh, you know the the foolishness of of living any way you want to live. We know that Solomon, and we'll get into to this in a few minutes. We know that Solomon, even though he was known as the wisest man that ever lived, made some very foolish decisions. Uh, he had seven hundred wives and. 300 porcupines and I mean concubines you, you, you know what I'm saying 700 wives and 300 concubines and he's known as the wisest man on earth sounds stupid to me doesn't it you I mean how many of you women would want 700 husbands well that's, that's my point point. and yet we know So Solomon's life experience matches the experience of the author. So he made some crazy, crazy decisions. First of all, according to Deuteronomy 17, the king... There were certain responsibilities that became the king's lifestyle. But we know that Solomon violated all of the kingly commands of Deuteronomy chapter 17. We know that he accumulated and amassed great wealth. And that is talked about here in Ecclesiastes. He had women of all kinds. I already told you 700 wives, 300 concubines. And on top of that, he married foreign women, and that was forbidden in those days. They were not allowed under any circumstance to marry outside of their nationality or their tribes, and he did it anyway. And those women, those foreign women, were responsible for bringing him away and dragging him away from his relationship with the God of Israel. Because He had to, to keep those women happy. He had to set up gods that they could worship. He had to, to establish areas where his foreign wives could go and worship with their families rather than being sold out and true to the God of Israel. So it, 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 the wisest man it did not use the wisdom in a productive way in his life and instead made some very foolish foolish choices now we don't know this for a fact but tradition suggests that this writing was at the end of Solomon's life it was not written as a young man moving forward it was written at a time in his life when he had already taken 700 wives he had already taken 300 concubines he had already made these foolish decisions and so the conversation comes from a standpoint of history, in other words, I, I'm telling you about the mistakes that I made so that you will not make these same mistakes. Now, I, I want to point your attention here uh, in verse two. Let's read verse two. It says, "Absolute futility," says says the teacher. "Absolute futility. Everything is futile." Now, that, that's pretty strong words, isn't it? Well, let's look at the Hebrew, and let's see what he's saying. When, when, when he says that, he uses the Hebrew word hevel. It is spelled H-E-V-E-L, hevel. But he doesn't just use it once, but he uses it multiple times. He says, absolute hevel, says the teacher, absolute Hevel, everything is hevel. So he's using it, and and the way that they spoke in those days was that if they really wanted to make a point, they would say it more than one time. So what he is saying here, and I think the old King James says it like this, vanity, all is vanity. And he, he's repeating this. And so in the Hebrew, literally what he's saying here is it is hevel upon hevel upon hevel. It's just piled one on top of another. Hevel upon hevel. And we know that we see this in other places in Scripture. In the Old Testament, we know of a place called the Holy of Holies. It's not just a holy place. It is the holy place. It is not just one of many, it is the holy of holies. It is in superior form. And then we know that the book of the Song of Solomon, we, we, it is called the Song of Songs. We know that Solomon uh, composed many songs he, uh, and many uh, pieces of poetry. He, he was very creative. But the book of Solomon is called the Song of Songs. In other words... Of everything that Solomon wrote, the book of Solomon was the thing that, that he wanted you to get. He wanted you to hear. So it, it's in this, this uh, superlative form, which gives us the idea then that evil Ebel of Evels means it is as meaningless as is humanly possible. And you can't pe you can't paint. You can't paint a more, more uh, uh, dark picture than that. There's nothing that can be more meaningless than life is what he is saying. It also goes forward and it means, it's used 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it means it means breath or, or a vapor. Now, in, in just a few weeks, all this heat's going to go away and the weather's going to change and it'll get cold outside. And when you go outside, you'll see that your breath will become visible and you'll see it, but you won't see it for very long because it is a vapor. It it is here for a moment and then it is gone. You remember what James said in chapter four, verse four, he said, life is like that. It is a vapor that is there for a moment and then it, it passes away. That's what Solomon is saying here. He's saying everything that we do, everything that we are, everything that exists is hevel upon hevel. It is vanity upon vanity. It is absolutely meaningless. It is pointless. It is worthless. And it is frustrating because it is frail and it is fleeting. That's what it means. That is what it means. So... Now, there are three things that we want to talk about as we move through the passage of Scripture. The first, we're going to look at verses 3 through 11. And we're going to see that the writer says that everything is meaningless because all of our activity is pointless. Everything we set our hand to do, according to the writer, is pointless. has no meaning whatsoever. So let's read it, verse 3 through 11. It says, What does a man gain for all of his efforts? That he labors at under the sun. Now we're going to come back to this. But you need to look very carefully at those three words. Under the sun. Now, if you've got King James it may some, say something different than that. But he, he is referring to a place and a time in history. We, we'll come back and explain that. Verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes. But the earth... Remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to its place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind. And the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea yet the sea is never Full, The streams are flowing to the place, and then they flow there again. All things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing. And the ear is filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before and those who will come after. There will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. Now, let's look at a few things here. Let's stop right there and let's let's dig deep. First of all, let's let's look at verse 3. What does a man gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? Now, let's look first of all at this idea of gain. What what do we gain in this life? Well, you know, our, our human mind says, well, if I go to work, I gain a paycheck. If I go to the grocery store and do the grocery shopping, I gain the food. I can take it home. If if I marry uh, someone, uh, my spouse, and and we procreate, and and we have sons and daughters and grandchildren, we have a family. So these things are are done because of the work of our humanity. But what he is saying here is, is that if that is all there is, if the only thing that exists is under the sun, then even those things, as important as they are to us, will not last. They will not bring any spiritual gain to our lives, it will not advance us in terms of the spiritual. It doesn't matter how many children you have, doesn't matter how many grandchildren you have, doesn't matter how fat your bank account is, it does not advance you in the realm of the spirit, not one little bit. That's what he's saying. So what do we gain if we have all those things? And we'll see in a few moments because all of that's going to go away one of these days anyway by the great equalizer. The Hebrew word translated gain means to profit or work and advantage. Then he says effort and labor. We see this throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. If we work with our hand if we do it ourselves, if, if we put it into action, if it is our work, then it, it brings very little, no gain in fact, in, in the realm of the spirit. You say, well, but what if we're doing the things God has called us to do? Well, again, we're we're looking now, and we'll get there later, but right now we're talking about all of these things happening purely from a standpoint of humanity and under the sun. We're not taking into consideration at this point the things that we gain eternally. He's talking about life here under the sun, and he says that. That phrase, under the sun, is used 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes to remind us that what we're talking about here is an earthly perspective. It is not a heavenly perspective. It is not a spiritual perspective. It is a human, earthly perspective. In other words, if this is all there is, if there is no God... If there is no afterlife, if there is no final judgment by God, then everything that we do is absolutely meaningless. And that's what he's saying. In the New Testament, Mark says it like this. Chapter 8, verse 36, he says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? What does it gain? The soul is what is important. So if this is all there is, then it is meaningless. Now, let's go and look uh, more closely at verses 4 through 11. He points out two cycles that he makes mention of. The first cycle is a natural cycle found in verses 4 through 11. And there are three examples that he used. The first example is the sun. He said the sun just, and again, from a natural point of view, the sun just goes around in circles. It comes up on one side of the earth, and then it goes down on the other every day. The next day, if you're standing there watching for it, it it will rise again, and it'll go down on the other side. And every day, the cycle just goes around and around and around. And he's saying there's nothing that you can do to prevent that from happening. It's going to happen. But he says even though it is consistently doing that, it brings no value eternally to our lives. It doesn't matter if you live 10 minutes or 102 years like Jane. It it doesn't matter how many times the sun circles during your lifetime, it will not add spiritual value to your life. It, you, will, you will gain nothing from it other than just a natural, repetitive, monotonous thing that happens every day. You know, we, we both have, in recent years, we've had to go through this period of time with our parents. And my mom got my dad got sick and my mom got sick. And they had these, these seasons of extended illness. And, and you know, they've been, they've been serving the Lord for a million years, it seems like to me. You know, I, I, I've never known anything different from them. But they, they got to this place, both of them, where it was like, I'm ready to go. I, I, why would I stay here? Why would I want to continue to eat cream corn when I can go to heaven? You know, why do, I, why do I want to prolong this thing that's called life when it, it's not productive to anyone anymore? And now we've come through that season with mine and we're entering that season with hers. And it's a hard process. Now, I, I, like, I like the way that J.B. Youngblood did it, honestly. Now, he was alive and attending this church when I came, first came here. He's the guy that built this sanctuary that we worship in every. Sunday. And he's the one who fell from the peak into a a pile of snow at the bottom. I've heard the story. But you know, he he made it to 90 and he told his children that when he made 90, he said, I'm done. I'm I'm just, I'm ready to go. He said, I just don't, I, I don't want to be here anymore. It's not that I don't love you. I love you very much, but I've got my sights set on eternity. It doesn't matter. I don't need 14 more days for that sun to go around in a circle. I'm ready to go. I've got my mind set on heaven. I'm going up yonder one of these days. That's where my sight is. And that's what Solomon's saying. He said, look, don't worry about, you know, how many times the sun cycles in your lifetime. It's just the same monotonous routine. So we have to fix our eyes on eternity, and we'll get to that in this study. So, And then he talks about the wind. He said the wind goes in circles. It, it goes in all kinds of directions. There's all kinds of activity when the wind comes. I mean, have you ever been outside on the deck or in your backyard and there's a thunderstorm coming and it seems like they always start with that burst of fierce wind that comes and just it blows and leaves go everywhere and branches come down and it's like, oh, the, the earth is getting ready to come apart at the seams. And then five minutes later, the wind's gone and everything's okay. And how many times in our lifetime have we seen that happen And, you know, the the wind is not something that we should be concerned about. It doesn't matter how many times the wind blows, it just goes in circle. It's going to blow again tomorrow. It's going to blow again the next day. It's going to blow again next week. The wind is part of this natural cycle that just continues moving it. And then he talks about the oceans. Talks about this process of creating water and how how that water comes down from the skies and and it fills our rivers and and then the rivers run into the oceans and, and yet the level of water in the ocean never grows more than it already is because it is feeding back in through the end of the sky, through the natural process, and this water is just constantly in this cycle where it's moving down to the ocean, and then from the ocean, it comes up into the sky, and then the sky releases it again to the earth, and then it goes back to the rivers and the creeks and the tributaries, and it runs back into the ocean. And he's saying, if that's what you've set your hope on, then your life is meaningless. Because it's this constant, constant cycle that means nothing. And then he moves us on to another cycle in verse 8. In verse 8, he talks about three uh, characteristics of weariness is really what he's talking about. He says, we cannot say enough with our mouth, we cannot see enough with our eyes, and we cannot hear enough with our ears. Now, it's all in there. You you look at the way that he brings all that out. We just think, man, if I could just see one more thing, if I could just see something more spectacular. We talk all the time around here. If we could just see signs and wonders. Well, just seeing signs and wonders is no big deal because signs and wonders can be actively before you and it not even change your life. Did you ever think about the guards who guarded the tomb of Jesus and the stone was rolled back? and they saw this Jesus come out of the tomb, and he's alive. And and did it change their lives? They should have become the best members in the local church. But they didn't. It did not change their lives, not one bit. And so what Solomon is saying here is that you can't see enough, you can't say enough. That's sad news for these presidential contenders, isn't it? (laughs) doesn't <laughs> no matter what you say, you folks who have been around a lot longer than I am, I just, I've wondered, I literally have wondered, have you heard these tunes before? If you will elect me, I will not raise the taxes. I will lower the taxes for the middle man. I'll raise the taxes on the rich of the rich. And I will, how many times have we heard that? A and it, a bazillion, it's like the, it's like the blonde who got that saw, saw on the news said that there were six Brazilians killed in a car accident, and she said, I don't even know how many a Brazilian is. <laughs> okay, never mind that. Just forget that all about. I mean, we can say, and we can say, and we can say, and we can say, and we can see, and we can see, and we can see. Have you, yeah, I've been thinking about the grandbabies. and In fact, Jonathan and I were talking about it today. And Jonathan, we, and this is weird for him. It really is. You'd have to know Jonathan. But Jonathan came in and he said, you know what? It just dawned on me yesterday. We don't have any pictures of our family. And I sat there in utter disbelief. And I said, would you like to know why we don't have any pictures of our family? It's because every time we get together at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, and your mother and your father says, let's take pictures. Every last one of you says, oh, I don't want to take any pictures. My hair doesn't look good. I, why didn't you tell me? I'd have worn something different. And I said, that is the reason that we have no family pictures. I said, if you guys, next time we'd get together, would just brush your teeth and shave your face and comb your hair and put something on, I said, I'll guarantee you, we'd be more than happy to take a picture. But I was thinking about, after he said all that, I was thinking about our grandbabies, Ben and, 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 and uh, who are the other two? Jovi and Harper. And, 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 I, and I'm thinking, you know, they did things when they were really young and I vaguely remember it, but I can't remember the specifics of it. I don't know if you've had that. It's like, you know, I, I, research says that most of the history that we are aware of and that we talk about is not true at all. Because what we remember is what someone told us how it happened. I remember, somebody told me I got bucked off of a horse at a church event when I was two years old, and that's what's wrong with me. <laughs> I don't remember that. I don't remember getting bucked off of a horse. I've seen pictures, though, of the event that my mom and dad had, and they had one of those little ponies that came, you know, and they led the little pony around, and and they were pastoring in... Uh, in, in um, Oak Hill, West Virginia, and, and they apparently set me up on that little pony, and the pony kind of did like this, and, and I kind of slid off the saddle, and, and so I got bucked off of this bronkin bronco, you know, and it's like, I don't remember any of that, but I'm told, and so I, you, we start recounting all of these stories that somebody told us and said, this is how this happened, and we take it for truth, and research says, Probably none of it is true. Maybe a little bit of the concept. And that's what Solomon's saying here. He's saying we remember things by, by sight, and, and they're not the way that we remember them. They're not the, it's not the way that we remember seeing it. It's not that way. <laughs> I told you a story just a few weeks ago about our dog. And how that we went and got the dog, Bishop. And my wife said, she said, let's take the dog home. I said to you, we didn't have any dogs at that point. All of our dogs, we we were petless at the time. She said, I didn't want to stand up in the middle of your sermon and tell you that you were lying to the congregation. She said, but we still had Penny at the house. A little little, uh, brown poodle that lived 1,800 years, it seemed like. 18 years. And she's right. We did have, but my mind did not remember it that way. It didn't make me a liar, it just meant that the that the history that I had in my mind was not accurate with reality. It might have been accurate with what my mind traditionally thought, but it was not accurate with the truth. And that's what Solomon is saying here. It's all meaningless if you just live your whole life telling stories about things that you saw or that you heard or that you spoke, guess what? It's probably not even true. And who cares? And that's what Solomon is saying. Who cares? Because if that's all there is, then then there's nothing to this thing. How many of you remember the old Rolling Stones song? Can't get no... Satisfaction, kind of same thing. look at verses twelve through eighteen. Everything is meaningless now he tells us because everything because nothing satisfies. Let me say that again, everything is meaningless because nothing satisfies verses twelve through eight the teacher, I the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to seek and explore. Through wisdom, all that is done under heaven, God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. Boy, you talk about Debbie Downer. he's, He's got it right there, doesn't he? He said, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile. A pursuit of the wind. It literally means like trying to grasp and hold wind in your hand. You cannot do it. He says, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge Madness and folly. I learned that this too. Is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases. Grief increases. So what he's saying. He's saying look. I have done it all. I've seen it all. I've had it all. I've possessed it all. He said, I tried the way of wisdom. I still wasn't satisfied. He said, so I set wisdom aside and decided I'd try folly and madness. And he said, neither path was satisfying. Somebody asked my wife, after I preached Sunday, i was tell her, you know, about how I'd dance in the, aisles at the store and all that kind of stuff and just, just to irritate her or just to whatever, you know. Somebody came up and said, does he really do that? She said, yes. He really does that. You know, there are days that I just think I cannot take the negativity of this stinking world anymore. People getting shot and killed and robbed and auto accidents. And I, you know, years ago, Walter Cronkite just got on and tell you what happened and then went home. Now we got 24 hour news channels that just depress the living life out of me. And every now and then I just feel like I need to dance in Walmart just to break the cycle. It's like, I can't take this anymore. It just drives me nuts. He said, why don't you turn it off? I do. It's like, I don't want to hear this anymore. I want to hear not one more word. I don't care what you say you're going to do for America because Solomon has already let me know it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And we're not going to be satisfied. Well, if I can just get a better job, if I can get a different spouse, if I, you know, if I can have more money, if I, if I can have this, if I can have that, if I can experience this, if I can go there, it'll make it all right. Solomon said, I tried it every way that I could conceivably try it. I tried it the godly way using godly wisdom and I set that aside and I went my own way and I did things with madness and folly. I attained everything I could attain, and all of it was meaningless. Now, if you'll come back next week, we'll take this a little further, and we'll find out what he's saying. Father, thank you for your word.